Welcome to the Zulu Time podcast, a straight talking conversation between two watch enthusiasts about the world of military watches. I hope you enjoy. Hello and welcome to episode 16 of the Zulu Time podcast with your hosts Darren from at Zulu Alpha Straps and Dan from at Timely underscore moments. Dan, how are you, mate? I'm good, mate. How have you been? Yeah, busy. Busy. Mate, you, you're always busy. And I feel like last this this week for you seems to be quite hectic. Like a little it seemed to be a little bit more hectic than normal, should we say, because uh of what's been happening um, and I've kind of I feel like we haven't had a proper chat all week to be honest well normally we have a couple of chats by this time in the week but um I've just kind yeah. of let you get on, I've just kind of let you get on with it and it's uh well mate I mean it, there's multiple plates spinning all the time mate here um and it's great I, I I love it I absolutely love it um but it's it's a juggle you know what I mean and and there's there's elements to it that take a lot more time than others there's admin that comes along with it there's the bits that that you don't see in the background as well um we, we've had a big week mate we, we had the Fairbairn and Sykes um drop on Monday uh, which was mega um thank you to everyone who supported us on that um and thank you to Fairbairn as well Fairbairn and Sykes they were absolutely incredible uh, what a historic brand to be dealing with um and a phenomenal brand to mark that uh, 80th anniversary of commando forces um but then yeah after that mate we um we announced uh the uh the agreement we've uh, we've made with the mod um on um making essentially uh, military straps or military military what you would see as a military dial in a watch we can now do it as a strap so we can use all the insignias um all the colorways everything officially um uh, and the license by the Ministry of Defence, uh, which is phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal. That took a long time, uh, a lot of energy, a lot of work, a lot of admin uh, in the background, um, and and we finally got there. Um, the contracts got signed, um, the agreements were made, and yeah, I am the first strap maker um, and the only one um, uh, globally uh, who can make you know, uh, military military watch straps. Uh, with the insignias for the MOD, um, which is it's fantastic. It's like full circle, mate. So, um, so yeah, that that happened. Uh, well, we announced it on Tuesday. It actually happened on Monday, uh, but we announced it on Tuesday, um, and then subsequently, since then, mate, I've been uh, trying to trying to manage and fulfil the orders that we've had. Um, not only with the FS uh, drop, but but you know the the regular sort of call range stuff as well. It's a weird one, mate, because my missus. Uh, your friends and, 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 and you know our neighbours and stuff like that it's a strange one at the minute because people have um, we've had some nice weather in the UK and people have been really sort of enjoying and kicking back a little bit because a lot of people are off or working from home um, but for me it's we've been busier than, than we were you know uh, before everything sort of happened um, so it's a weird one on managing expectations for the family as well mate because you know, you see all of our peers um, just sort of kicking back and relaxing in the garden and in the sun. Um, I haven't had that opportunity. Maybe we've, uh, 
we've been uh, digging out like trap miners, um, which is great, absolutely great. You know, I, I, I'm grateful for it. It's exactly what I wanted, and and it's it's phenomenal. Um, but yeah, uh, for that reason, mate, I've been I've been up the yin yang all week, Dan, um, and and fairly poor on comms, mate. So yeah, um, this is probably one of the first times we've had a proper catch up, mate. Um, um, certainly since the weekend. But yeah. Anyway, how how were you getting on? How's your week been? Well, mate, for me, I was I was back in the office as well, mate. So I was busy with um, real work, as it were. Um, so yeah, it's, yeah. But I mean, it's all it's all changing again, mate. So it's just one of those again, just rolling with it. And I'm going to be a little bit freer now, I think, for uh, the next well, probably till the end of June. Um, but mate, congratulations on getting your your mod license in. I know I know it's been. Um, a bit of uphill battle in terms of the paperwork and the admin and as you said it's great to see ZA come full circle um, and finally be, it, be in a position mate where you've been trying to push yourself and push the business in getting to that to where you are now you know and you've had this idea and you've had had this you know really on the back burner for a while and it's great to see how it's finally come to fruition so um, you know, congratulations for myself, really, and you know, and it's cool to to follow you on that on that journey as well. To see it from inception to you know, like I said, the final final contracts being signed. Um, and thank, then on top of that, you. yeah, sorry, mate. <laughs> and then obviously on top of that, mate, the uh, uh, 80th anniversary of uh, Commander Forces and and, and the uh, the collaboration with um, Fairburn and Sykes. Um, as you said, mate, what what a cool company to to get a collab with. Um, a very in pivotal i'd like to say pivotal company in terms of military history and you know what they represent for not only commander forces or you know um i guess the intelligence services as well you know loosely um but also in terms of just british manufacture you know because they're all made in britain still and you know they're made out of you know british steel you know which is you know still quite cool really that's quite an interesting point you raised there mate i mean um Naturally, I had a, a lot of people messaging me um, on the run-up to that drop, um, um, not only in the UK, but in America as well, um, asking about the legitimacy of them picking up Fairbairn mm -hmm. and Sykes, or, you know, because it's, it's Commando Green, uh, same colour as the Berry, etc. And um, what's interesting is if you actually dig into the history of Fairbairn and Sykes, um, you know, the, the men themselves were pivotal. Um, in in setting up the OSS, yeah, um, which were the pre predecessor to the CIA, um, U.S. Army Rangers pull a lot of heritage from them. Um, mm -hmm. uh, the um, uh, I can't think of the bloody word. I want to say SEO. It's not the SEO. SOE. SOE. SOE pull a lot of heritage from them as well. So yeah, it's. I mean that that was we. We do, or we were, we're about to start doing specific military projects whereby you have to uh, qualify uh, mm -hmm. through service uh, to obtain uh, a particular strap. Um, but you know, the Fairburn and Sykes, mate, it's 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 all encompassing, um, and it was yeah. interesting to share that history with people who probably weren't aware of it, um, and they've always been um, sort of synonymous with commando forces, and rightfully so. Um, but there's so much more to their history as well. Um, what yeah. you've got to do is just scratch that surface. And as you say, it's still made in Britain. Um, it's still made in Sheffield. Um, yeah. I was actually talking uh, to 
to uh, you know the guys who own uh, Fabian and Sykes uh, earlier on this week, and they were actually there sorting out blades in Sheffield. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's phenomenal. Um, absolutely phenomenal company. Um, they they do have a merch section as well, guys. Mm. If you want to pick up some t-shirts or hats and stuff like that off them, um, they're pretty cool. Um, I've got a t-shirt myself. Um, I recommend the 1941 uh, phenomenal t-shirt. Um, but yeah, head over to their site, uh, Fairburn and Sykes. Uh, whack that into Google. You find mm-hmm. them on Instagram at Fairburn and Sykes, and uh, tell them. Uh, Tell them you were sent over by uh, by us, and uh, yeah, again, it's it's mate, it's some things you do, some projects you work on, mate, and it's just hard to believe that you're working on that project because of the history yeah. involved in it. Yeah, well, and it's. I mean, from my point of view, mate, the the you know those commando daggers are synonymous with the commando comics books that I used to read as a kid. Mate, uh, yeah, I, I had I had a collection of that, mate, about five hundred of them. Um, and I remember when I was about 17, um, I got the train to Cardiff uh, because he was a guy in Cardiff, mate, who'd buy him off you. Um, and I got the train up there and sold them to him uh, because I'd sort of grown up. But mate, I, was as, I was as in love with those as you are, mate. Um, yeah. Big part of my childhood too. Yeah. You know, and like you said, mate, it's just, like I said, it's such a synonymous design of, of something and it's everywhere, isn't it? And, and, and the, the, the accolade that is held, you know, with the idea of going and getting your daggers is something that's yeah. up there. So, you know, mate, exactly. It's just, it's just really cool to, to, to intertwine a bit of ZA history in, in, into that as well. And, you know, I think it's just really cool. Um, on, a, on, on that point about um, how they were used by OSS and stuff like that, there's another cool um, website called the Inglorious Amateurs, which yes. um, they take a lot of their... Um, heritage and their design of what they make from the OSS and the CIA Um, but one of the things that you can buy from them mate is uh, like t-shirts with winged daggers um, which are you know exactly the same it is the Fairburn and the Sykes dagger and it's just used in a different different way and it represents obviously the American side and the American involvement with the use of those those knives so if people want to have a look at that as well it's uh, the Inglorious Amateurs and we'll put put it into the show notes um, the only other couple of things, mate, I just want to run by you is, um, well, we've had a week, a uh, week and a bit, and uh, mm. the last episode that we released, obviously, uh, interview with Jake, uh, mate, it's gone through the roof. Um, I'm really happy with um, how well received that episode was, and from my part of obviously running the podcast and that kind of stuff, I've been looking at the metrics every day, um, sometimes multiple times a day. Um, and like I said, it's just not stopped increasing. Um, and the feedback, mate, that I received off it was was very positive. So I don't know what you received, um, but from my my standing, um, our followership were very, very pleased to finally have that episode to listen to. Yeah, much of the same for me, mate. I mean, the, the DMs went a little nuts, mate. Um, they had a big drop. Um, Jake with Tad um, earlier on um, in you know this week, mate, and and that was a sort of a teaser. As mm-hmm. the watch come in on that watch, so um, shout out to uh, to Jake, mate, for for giving us the scoop there uh, and jumping on and, and spending some time with us. It was the first podcast he's done, mate, which is phenomenal, mm-hmm. absolutely phenomenal to have him uh, have him jump on with us. Um, uh, and yeah, the way the Sangin fam and 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 the Tad junkies too, mate. Um, thank you all for you know for jumping on and, and listening and, and just 
you know, understanding a bit about about Jake and his, his history with the brand and the heritage yeah. uh, of Sangin. But yeah, the feedback's been phenomenal, mate. Absolutely phenomenal. Um, mm. and, and and that's what it's about. I mean, it's it's all good and well, mate. Me me and you sitting down and, and rabbiting on with, to each other and uh, having chin wags and, and you know bending each other's ear off. Um, but you know, the, the old premise of this, mate, is to share these stories, to share mm-hmm. this information with, with people out there, and 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 the best sort of part. Pat on the uh, pat on the back for us, mate, is when it's when it's well received and, and it's listened to. Yeah. So yeah, thank you, thank you to everyone who uh, who tuned in and listened, and uh, yeah, you know the feedback we've had, you guys really enjoyed it, and we'll try and do much of the same in the future. Um, it's it's it, you know we're acutely aware of um, of what you guys want and you know suggestions or whatever. Send us send us a DM, um, and, and and we'll try and facilitate what we can. But I suppose this week, mate, we're sort of getting back in the swing of it and. Uh, I think we're up to the point now with the 60s, mate, of field watches. Yes, mate. So this is episode one, as it were, of the 1960s, uh, yeah. the 1960s segment. So, I mean, I did the research, mate, and, and so did you, but we both came to the agreement that there's so many famous military watches that start emerging from the 60s that it was it was going to be very hard for us to kind of break down into... You know, it, well, it would have been very hard to do it as a single episode because we would be here for hours. Um, yeah. So again, similar to what we did with the 50s, we've decided to break it down by service or loose service or the areas of operations where the watches would be used. So today we're yeah. going to focus on watches used by the land forces and special forces. Um, yep. And then obviously the... Um, episodes coming will focus on air... air Air Force, Air Watches, as it were. And then obviously yep. for yourself, mate, you've got Navy and diving watches as well. Yeah. Yep. Um, but without further ado, before we get into land forces, um, yep. wrist checks, mate. What what watch have you got on today? Well, mate, I've got the Sangin K2 um, and I've got it on a Fairbin and Sykes strap. And to be Very honest, cool. mate, it, it fucking pops on this big time um i don't know what it is mate um but i put that this watch on this morning with this strap it's the first time i've worn this strap i've got my own version of it mate i sort of with the drops i um i square everyone else away first mate and then uh, when it's all done and dusted the dust is settled a little bit i'll put one together for myself and mate the colorway on this i don't know what it is maybe it's the yellow flex on on the second hand mate and, and the gmt hand of the k2 that just bounce and sit really well with yeah. Um, the green, um, or whether it's the the case, I don't know, mate. But this strap absolutely is made for the K2. Um, it's phenomenal. I, I I don't think I'll be able to wear the K2 in any other color now, mate. It's just it's just incredible. It's hard really? to catch, mate. Through, um, and, you know, I'm trying to give you an idea there yeah. through the camera, but um, I'll, I'll get a picture up on Instagram um, tomorrow. Uh, for when this goes like if we record on a Thursday guys so you can see exactly what I'm referring to but this absolutely pops it really does pop yeah um so oh, yeah that's it, it must play with the matte dial mate I'm thinking I think it does it plays with the matte dial mate um I think the leather plays with a matte dial a bit as well um I think the green and the yellow really complement each other um mm-hmm. in, in in a wonderful way and I think cuz cuz commando green is is such a distinct um, specific green um, it, it draws that watch out 
if that makes any sense. It it, it really complements the watch very well. Um, so yeah, I'm pleased with it, mate. That's, that's a shameless plug, I know, um, but I'm not sure in dribble leg. I just jump on and make your own assumptions. For me, this is um, yeah, this is incredible. Um, it, it just works so well. But how about yourself, mate? What are you rocking? Well, mate, out of the back of not winning a uh, Sangin, uh, well, a Tad Merlin, sorry, not a Sangin yeah. Merlin, yeah. Um, I'm, I'm uh, ro- rolling with my Neptune, mate. I've got it on your Coyote Tan, uh, nice. which you sent down. Uh, and similar, mate, I think the, the light of the strap, in this case, the, the light colour of the strap plays with the steel, and it yeah. makes the black... Um, it, it gives off this air of, it's almost like, now I'm going to, without making it sound bad, it, it makes the Neptune look old. So it makes it look a little bit, you know, kind of subdued, more of a tool, kind of like it's yeah, been used yeah, a little yeah, yeah. bit more. Yeah, um, yeah, and yeah. it kind of plays with the, the, the light markers that are on it and the hands. Um, yeah, so I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm rolling with that, mate. And it kind of just makes it look very... Um, Utilitarian. Utilitarian, but also it makes it look very, um, almost like those red submariners from the 60s and 50s yeah, with the, yeah, yeah, the red yeah. triangle at the top and the light strap. And it's just, mate, it's a great combination. I really like the, um, the coyote tan that you've got going on here, mate. It's, um, it's got a bit of a sheen to it, which I get why you were a little bit, oh, it's, it's slightly lighter than a coyote tan. I understand that. Yeah, uh, but yeah. obviously that's just the properties of polyester, isn't it? Um, well, mate, there's, there's, listen, there's always, there's always parameters of operation where you're going to work within, mate. Fundamentally, we're not here to make pretty straps. That's not the driving factor. What we're here to do is make operational utilitarian tool straps, mill straps. Um, so, you know, the choice of the materials we use um, is is fundamental in that and and yeah i mean this color mate if you did it in a nylon um it would you would probably have a little less sheen on it um but you're also um you know sacrificing then your abrasion resistance and that quick dry element so yeah i mean it's it's one of them mate i mean it's proven quite popular um it's gone down well people people are are giving some cracking feedback on it i do know what you mean in the color um it's to me, mate, it reminds me of the AF one zero two. Okay. Uh, yeah. It's like a it's like a modern version of an AF zero uh, AF one zero two. Okay. Which is quite cool um, for me. You know what I mean? I, I yeah. like that. Yeah. You you know me. I like the vintage cues. And yeah, modern yeah, yeah. Things, I'm with you. So. I'm with you. To me, mate. Uh, I mean, I had I had a Camelback issue, mate. Um, when when we were in the Gulf, um, and and the webbing on that Camelback is pretty much exactly the yeah. same colour um, as this. So, um, as far as that's concerned, probably yeah. From from, I don't know, mate. It's one of those colours. You, you can draw heritage from it, uh, as you have, uh, for from multitude of different reasons. To me, it looks like the same colour as the webbing I was actually issued when I was in the military mm. doing ops, mate. You know what I mean? So, I pull that from it. But yeah, I mean that's that's what's about is pulling pulling your own story out of stuff, mate, and, and making it your own. It has that much more of a personal flair, then. If that makes yeah. any sense. Yeah. And also, mate, it'll be interesting to see now that obviously you've got the mod licensing and you know you you're going to start accepting more custom strap designs for units or whatever. It'll be yeah. interesting to see uh, how a coyote tan strap, if that was to be chosen as the base model, as it were, you know, yeah. for it to be turned into a unit strap, I think the, the the plain and the kind of neutral color tones of it will play really well to whatever 
um, unit that you know would, would, would take that. So that's quite. Cool. It, it, it's a blank canvas, mate. It really is. Um, it's a blank canvas, and, and because it's not, it's not um, in, it, intimidating um, in any way on the colourway. Uh, it makes it easy. Um, but yeah, no, it'd be interesting. Mm. Yeah. So um, no, mate. I agree. I think it's really cool. Um, so I suppose I should start by you know giving us the rundown on the 1960s so i looked in the book the the, the british military timepiece book that we use as one of our references mate and there was um a cool paragraph that i'm going to you know kind of ad lib as it were um that's that kind of sums up the british um mentality towards the 1960s with the watches and similar to how we've seen it all the way through it's a bit of a continuation of the 1950s in the fact that we had had a lot of watches um still left over from national service era um and the paragraph literally said that a lot of the watches stayed within stores um and you've got the use of dirty dozen watches still um it on the british side in terms of the land side so that was interesting but the predominant british watch mate that came out in the 1960s is the venerable and very famous smith's w10 all hail all, all hail, hail the smith's yeah. double 10 mate, um, what a watch you've actually got one of them um, I have, and I've wow. pulled it out, mate. So it's here. I've pulled it out of the watch box. So we're going to obviously talk about it. Um, really cool watch. Smith's is a really important company in terms of British watchmaking because, um, well, we know that the Explorer went up onto um, to Mount Everest in 1953 on the wrist of uh, Edmund Hillary in Tenzing Norgay. But people also forget, mate, that um, they also took um, a Smith's watch up, Everest. So you can see how important really for British watchmaking Smith's is as a company. Um, the W10 mate has also got another accolade in terms of British, uh, British watchmaking, not just British military watchmaking, that it was the last full production British watch that was ever made in UK. Mate, that's, that's very cool. Um, we talked about Smiths, I think, in um, one of the World War Two segments that we did um, on on the fact that one of their factories got blitzed during the war. Um, yeah, the story on that is just phenomenal, and, and knowing that history and that heritage. So, if you haven't listened to that, in short, Smiths had a factory in London. Um, the Germans um, basically blew that up in in in, in part of the Blitz, Blitzkrieg uh, that happened um, during the war, um, and all the movements were in the safe. Um, and in short, you know, the whole building burnt down, it fell um, the next day or, or subsequently over the next few days. They actually got access to the safe, all these, these movements that were there, um, and they were all intact. But because of the heat um, created from the fires, the movements, uh, the metal had become blued. Um, so you had wow. these, these blue sort of movements um, that were cutting around the UK for a long time after it. Um, and yeah, the, a lot of the apprenticeships, mate, and the apprentices, I think up until the 80s, mate, were using these movements um, because the, you know, 
they were there they, they didn't want to sell them or do anything with them um so they just flooded the sort of the watchmaker market with them mate um just so the guys had something to practice on but hmm. um yeah if you've got one or if you know of anyone who's got one let me know um i'd be really keen to get my hands on one of them um hmm. even if it's just over play with it and take some pictures but yeah cool story on smiths mate um I, whenever someone mentions smiths that that sort of story flies out with me mate so my apologies if i've uh I've took your wind a bit there, but yeah, Smith's. No, not uh, at all, man. It's not at all. Um, I think, Pete, like I said, I think it's important to, you know, highlight the importance of Smith's in, in British watchmaking, but also in military watchmaking anyway, because they're almost like an under under sung brand, shall we say, especially when we get into the 60s, 70s era and, and, and famous watches used by the British military, they almost become a bit undersung because they were only one watch, you know, where they, you know, that they produced really for the British military. They didn't go on to produce other variants of other watches and, you know, didn't hang around for very long as it were. The production date, mate, for the Smiths was roughly 1967 till about 1970. Uh, and as we know, in 1970, effectively, the quartz crisis occurred uh, and British watchmaking effectively just fell through the floor. Um, because it was cheaper to buy watches and quartz movements and all that kind of stuff and outsource production of watches to the Far East. Um, it's cool, though. The, the the watch itself, mate, is 35mm. It's got um, an Arabic dial, you know, 1 through 12. Um, it's very... Um, it took a lot of design cues, mate, from the JLC... Um, mark 11 watches and the iwc mark 11 watches in terms of the dial um and if you look at the case um like design the lugs and how they come off the off the case and how they how they appear the they've got a similar um kind of profile to that of the pilots watches those those mark 11s which is quite cool um but the movement mate inside it was a caliber 60466 echo right it was a 17 jewel hand winding movement um it could achieve chronometer grade timing pretty much and it was also frosted and what it means by frosted is that it was kind of like you know like we talk about geneva stripes and you know finishing your movements and we always think of those long lines that have been dremeled in by hand yeah. british watchmakers didn't do that mate we effectively took the brass and however they do it they frost it and it looks like it's got um it looks like it's got a rough surface on it it's kind of yeah. like a mat matted surface so you yeah. get these beautiful brass movements inside me and they're yeah. they're almost they're almost matte mat in in um in sheen yeah. It's like a bead blast in me. Yeah. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. But they're just. But it was something that was only really done by British watchmakers, mate, which is quite cool. So if I was to open up the back of that, you'd definitely tell it's a British watch. Um, my one, mate, is from 1969, and it actually still keeps within um, original um, timing parameters from when it was made. That is incredible, mate. That yeah. is incredible. I actually had that watch off you for, for a short time, mate, and I wore it. Um, I'd love one. Um, the problem is it's it's a little too small for for my Sasquatch wrists, mate. Um, but I, I'm absolutely in love with it, mate. The dial, the shape, the, the, the case style, um, how just just how it's put together and the aesthetic to it is, is absolutely beautiful. And then you couple that with the history and the story. Um, it's, it's absolutely phenomenal. I do know time factors. Hmm. Time factors do something similar in a larger size. Um, yeah. 
But um, yeah, yeah. So guys, just to let you know as well, in case anyone's wondering um, why there's ruffling and some sort of crying going on, um, I've recently bought a puppy um, and the puppy's just found its way into the workshop whilst I'm recording. Um, it's already pulled my headphones out, um, tried chewing on a microphone uh, and that was crying out the door to get out, but it can't leave because um, I'm here on the podcast. So uh, yeah. Uh, we, we took a, a, a brief little pause there, guys, just for me to uh, get Set- her uh, settled, yeah. as it were. Stop eating my tripod, stop eating my headphones, stop scratching at the door, stop crying, <laughs> etc., etc. I can't grumble, mate. Um, I've been working on my wife for a long time about getting another dog. Um, we, we, we haven't had one in a few years. Unfortunately, we lost the last one. And, uh, and yeah, so this cool. is, this is uh, me paying the piper, as it were, mate. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's your turn. Crack on. Yeah, yeah no well, problem. Well, I'm pleased that uh, the puppy's settling in, mate, and is now a comfortable member of the ZA family. I assume she will be wrapping all things ZA. Uh, mate, she won't have a all, choice. She's she already, a... yeah, she's already is, mate. She's got a coyote tan slip lead and uh, a coyote tan collar, mate. Um, cool. I should not have said that because my DMs are going to go absolutely <laughs> ballistic now. Uh, I've refrained from that for a long time of sharing any images, but but bugger it, I'll get them up. Um, I'll, I'll get some photos up, mate, of uh, of her wrapping uh, the ZA. Cool. She's uh, she's an old English bull, mate. So I've got a little Union Jack uh, keeper on there for her as well for the excess on the collar, mate. It's, uh, it's sick. Yeah, she looks nice. good. Nice, um, mate. So the Smiths, you you, I mean, you you had it when I went away for a little bit, and obviously you enjoyed it for what it was. But obviously it's it's thirty five mil, so it's a bit small. So it fits on my wrist very well. Not yes. so much on yours, um, but that no. being said, there is um, there's always the reissue. There is there's two versions of the reissue that you could go and get. So there's the yes. PRS twenty nine, I believe twenty nine Alpha and the twenty nine Bravo. And I That's believe correct. the twenty nine Alpha is basically a carbon copy of the original. It's just the fact that it's got um, instead of made in England, it says made in Great Britain. Um, That's yep. kind of like the main difference, other than obviously the movement inside. Uh, but it's yep. still hand wind and hacking and all that kind of stuff. Um, yep. But it's obviously just updated with a little bit more water resistance. And I believe the no, the the Alpha still kept acrylic, didn't it, as its crystal? Because the yes. Bravo they upscaled it to a more manly size, as it yep. were. Uh, it's a thirty nine mil, and it has yep. a, a sapphire crystal. Is that correct? It has, mate. I've been actually searching for one for about I'd say eighteen months since I mm-hmm. gave yours back. Um, you loaned me Leo's, mate, um, for a little while. Uh, I really enjoyed it. I really did enjoy it. Um, it's a fabulous little watch. Yeah. And I wanted that look. I wanted that history. Uh, but 36 mil just doesn't work yeah. for me. Um, so, yeah, I've been on a hunt, mate, for uh, 29B for a while. Unfortunately, they only sort of tend to pop up on the forums, yeah. um, which I'm part of. But I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm a, a, a contributor uh, in any way, shape, or form, mate. I'm more of a, a silent sort of observer. Yeah, um, that me just too, sort mate. of chips in every now and again. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, they're put together, mate, we, by 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 Eddie over at Time Factors. He's done a good job on them, mate. Um, they, 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 I think they sold out in in a few minutes. And every so often, he gets a new batch in. Um, yeah. But because he runs one of the forums, uh, TZ UK uh, is the name of it. Um, he tends to let the forum know first. Um, 
you know, which is the community he's created through his brand time factors. Um, so yeah, that goes out to, to, to the forums uh, or the forum first mate. So they're incredibly difficult to get your hands on. However, they do pop up on eBay from time to time. So if you are looking for something like that, guys, do uh, do keep an eye out. Mm. Preferably after I've got mine. <laughs> um, but be be prepared for a little wait um, because yeah. those who have got them don't like let them go. Um, but yeah, Smiths, mate, they, they, it's a great company. It's, it's a yeah. lot of history, a lot of heritage there, um, yeah. and it's great to see stuff um, sort of back in the market, mate. With that Smith, Smiths mm. brand and that Smiths logo on it because of the heritage it carries. Yeah. Um, but yeah, mate, thirty-six mil is yours. I love it. I absolutely adore that watch. It's still in fabulous condition. I mean, it is. the way that keeps time down is phenomenal. You've picked a beauty yeah. there, mate. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's a great piece, mate. It really is a great piece. I just wish you, you know, the originals were a little bit bigger, so I could get an original um, in 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 a, in a man size, um, and and be be a happy man. But yeah, I've uh, I've got to search the interwebs, mate, to try and uh, tr- try and fill that hole. Unfortunately. Mm. But mate, that Smiths, that was the main British watch for the 1960s period in terms of land forces. Yeah, um, definitely. Obviously, mate, we're going to talk, um, you know, very quickly, just so you're aware, the, the kind of conflicts that that would have been found in would have been like Aiden, the Rad fan. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Obviously, policing um, the, the ending, as it were, of the British Empire and the closing down of all the larger kind of places where the British were stationed. Um, so, you know, you would have found these out in Hong Kong, Malaya and all that kind of stuff, a lot in the Middle East um northern ireland and all that kind of stuff um but really for us we we had a bit of a quiet i say a quiet period we didn't have a quiet period in terms of a british military in the 60s um but we kind of went into the kind of the roles that we are now which is you know assistance um training advisory and all that kind of stuff um and everything's relative isn't it i mean well, it, it is all relative. It, it wasn't it wasn't quiet but it was certainly quiet in comparison to what was going on and it was quiet uh, compared to what is yeah. And it was quiet to what, what the British Army had and the British military had, for, you know, come out the back of. You know, we had yeah. you know, effectively come out the back of World War II and then straight into Korea. Um, yeah. And also, the other side of it is, mate, is national service had ended. Yeah. So yeah. the requirement for these issued watches had dramatically decreased. So, you know, we demobbed all the lads and demobbed all of those national servicemen. So, effectively, we only needed one watch to be issued. You know, and that also is probably another contributing factor to why the uh, watch was only issued for, you know, three and a bit, four years um, before going on to the the next iteration of British Army W10s, which we won't touch yep. on until uh, we get to the 1970s, mate. So, yep, yep, yep. Fair one, mate. Fair one. But um, we've got to address the elephant in the room, mate. We have. Vietnam. Go on. Yeah. So... The, um... In our research, um, effectively, mate, I've managed to trace down the rough um, generations of the American field watches, issued field yep. watches, and then we're going to yep. talk a little bit more in detail about a very famous set of watches that were not issued, as it were, or at yes. least not 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 made to a uh, defence department specification. So yeah. um, the first. Um, issued military watch in the 60s for the for the US forces came under um, a military specification which was called MIL 
whiskey 3818 alpha. And funnily enough, they're pretty much always called the 3818 alpha, yep. or and then it changes the letter at the end pretty much. But the first one, mate, was effectively an upgraded AL, A17A. So yeah. from what the I could Bolova. tell, the Bolova. So what I could tell was that those watches had a slightly different case finish. They were parkerized, yeah. um, yeah. still stainless steel, uh, but they upgraded the move, upgraded the movements, mate, from 15 joules to 17 joules. Yeah, um, they also had uh, water resistance of 30 meters on these ones, mate, as well, um, which is which is pretty cool. I mean, something you've got to you've got to understand, guys, that during this time, um, certainly with with the mil spec watches, um, a lot of them were produced to be non-maintainable. Um, what that means is they were they were designed to last for two years or so, and then be replaced after failure um and considering some of the combat um uh, these things went through um it's a miracle that any of them survived at all mm. uh, but the, you know the blovers are still out there you still can't get them um and that they, they, they are still available and as as we see it's a natural progression uh from those a11s mm. uh, in terms of tweaks yeah there's not a lot to write home about them, guys. If you listen to previous episodes where you speak about the A7, A11 and A17, um, it's pretty much the same. It's just got a better movement in it. Uh, yeah. What's interesting, mate, is that Elgin also made them. And Elgin were, and I hate to use this term, but they were considered a little bit lazy. So they just modified uh, movements that they were already putting into their civilian market watches to fit, the, to loosely fit the specifications needed. Whereas Beluba yeah. actually made a specific movement to meet that standard so um i forget the name of the beluva movement but it's in there something like bch 10 or something like that um, yeah. or whatever it was effectively that movement has to be inside the watch when you buy them um check yeah. the movements guys because obviously you can fit other movements inside them um but when you have the correct movement in the correct case you know you've got a non you know a non-frankenstein watch as it were yeah um after that because those when those were initially issued to um, pilots and the special forces, that's why we're speaking yep. about them today. They were issued to the Green Berets. Um, yep. That issue stopped in 1962 because effectively the American Defense Department went to a different specification, which was funny enough, the 3818 Bravo from 1962, yep. Uh, yep. and they introduced um, the first watch, uh, a Benrus. Um, and it looks, it was the predecessor to the Golf Golf Whiskey 113, uh, but basically it looks exactly the same. Um, the specifications, mate, were hacking, hand winding, 17 joules again, uh, yep. plus, plus or minus, plus to minus 30 a day. Um, and initially, yeah, they were made by Benrus in 1962. Then um, a different standard was then updated two years later in 64, which brought out. Um, the other versions that were made by Hamilton Marathon yeah. and a company called Altus, which is quite cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. I wonder how many Altus watches are around because I've never seen any of them. Um, so. That's a fair show. Yeah, I mean, I think I think these these Ben Rusters, mate, were were available from from store at the time from yeah. sixty four to sixty nine. Yeah. But again, really small watches, thirty four mil. Yeah. Um, again, thirty meter water mm. resistance. Um, but it's it's a strange one. I mean, you look at the British and. We were still cutting around with, with dirty dozens um, yeah, because yeah. we bought stuff to last for a very long time. Yeah, um, it was just the nature of British watchmaking. But you look in the state side; it um, was all a lot about of it was throwaway. Do you know yeah. what I mean? 
they were saying how to access the movements you'd have to go through the front um which obviously destroyed any water resistance and if you had a uh, a tech as it were who wasn't as skilled or as trained or as you know as sleight of hand effectively it would just write the watch off anyway so yeah um but mate those are famous because those are the watches that were given to the majority of soldiers in vietnam um i i can see why mate i mean you look cool. at the dial on them the 24-hour dial um you know really legible um, you know, sword style hands, uh, mm. black and white with, with, with those sort of, um, what we would call now as vintage markings, but they, they, they were the real deal at the time in that sort yeah. of, not too dissimilar from a coyote or, a um, that, that sort of tan color that the legibility on these would have been incredible, mate. Yeah. Um, absolutely incredible. And you can just follow, um, you, you know, you, you, you you're, you're tracking of your time so easily, yeah. so well, um, whilst cutting under bush or yeah. doing whatever you're doing. Um, it, there's no, there's no mistake in me. This is a military watch. Mm-hmm. That, that's exactly what it's designed for. Um, and, and again, phenomenal, absolutely gorgeous little pieces, uh, pieces of military history there. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, I mean, it, it didn't stop there, mate. I mean, um, it, it sort of carried on as well. I mean, yeah, th- there we get into the elephant in the room, mate, with, with, um, you know, the, the trifecta uh, before we get there um something else a lot of the lads were wearing is seagulls yes just general yes. seagulls um because the lads would be on ops um they'd smash this up um or they didn't get one or whatever it was they knew it was throwaway mm-hmm. um they'd be on r&r in japan or whatever um and they yep. pick up seagulls which were pretty affordable at the time but also you couldn't get them stateside yep. so in many ways um they're the, sort of the first military dial in the sense yeah. of, um, you look at projects now, um, you look at companies who do military-specific projects where you have your, your, your insignia or your unit crest on the dial. Um, everyone knows that you're in the military because you've got that watch. It's a bit of a giveaway. Um, at this time, if you had a sequel on, um, there will be an assumption that you've you're gone overseas. Guy. Yeah, or you've gone overseas. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Do you know what I mean? And it's, it, it's, it's cool when you look at it like that. So they would have been... Uh, a very subtle way to tell people um, or, or would have been a very subtle way to observe someone um, cutting round, um, but you know, back in the U S with one of these, yeah. you'd see a seagull go, right. Okay. He's a serviceman. Um, or there's highly likely that he, that he is a serviceman. Um, so yeah, but a bit of a cool bit of history on there uh, because you just couldn't get your answer seagulls in the U S at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and- I was watching a video on YouTube, mate, which is one of the guys who does a lot of the vintage Seiko restore, restorations and servicing and stuff. And he's had some interesting pieces in. Uh, and he said that he remembers a story from a similar kind of, you know, idea. So a serviceman went out, bought himself a Seiko um, generic, whatever it was at the time that he liked um, on his R&R or at the, also, mate, at the time through the PX, which is interesting. So yeah. PX yeah. watches. Um, and we will touch on more PX watches as we go through the 60s. Um, and obviously brought it back um, and, you know, X amount of years down the line, passed it on to his son, who obviously then sent it on to the watchmaker to, you know, to do his to do his thing. And this watchmaker, mate, he likes to do like a video appraisal uh, and he publishes them for, you know, basically for the Seiko um, collectors out there to see, um, obviously with permission of the owner. Um, but what's interesting is the fact that he said that um, the, what, this watch that came in, he said that his, grand, his father or grandfather, whoever it was, because I can't remember how old the gentleman who now has it, 
was, was saying that at the time, they didn't actually know, some American soldiers and service personnel didn't know how to pronounce Seiko back in uh, America. And they referred to, referred to them as Saikos because they, they'd never come across the brand before. Yeah. Um, and he also drew that line and said that if it wasn't for effectively the military personnel serving in that theater of conflict, um, the proliferation of Seiko into the US markets and also into the Australian markets probably wouldn't have been as high as it is, or is today because of the fact that so many were bought and taken home. I, I can believe it. I can believe it. I mean, this something that Vietnam had mate, was an abundance of manpower. Mm. Um, that's, you know, a lot was thrown at that. And, and, you know, these lads would have would have worked in their rotations and, and subsequently picked their R&R up, mate, in Japan and the likes and, and the surrounding areas. And, you know, when you've been uh, on ops for a bit, mate, you, you tend to accrue a bit of money in the bank um, and yep. you tend to go a little bit wild when you get a yeah. chance. Um, and you treat yourself, you spoil yourself, you, you do the old beer thing and, and chasing, uh, um, chasing a good time. Um, and yeah, uh, watch purchases and I need of mate. Um, we, no. we see that now. Uh, I've got a lot of my friends, mate, will go on deployment down the Gulf. Um, they'll stop off um, in in um, Abu Dhabi or or the likes um, halfway through or on an R and R piece, um, and the lads will pick up a brand new watch. You know, mm. what I mean? it's, it's watch now because they've let their money build up in such a way that when they go and have a blowout, they want to treat themselves at the same time and have something to take back and show for it. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's 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 interesting because that, in many ways, is the grandfather to the military dial and military watches that do not, mm. um, you know, uh, you've been in 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 the forces or not for overseas in many ways. Um, that's the way I look at it, anyway. I don't know, um, but yeah. So on the on the topic of Seiko, um, obviously we've referred to it. If you're following us, you've seen. Um, You've seen posts of uh, of Dan's sequels. Do you want to talk us through them, mate, and tell us a bit about that history? Yes, mate. So, I mean, again, a lot of the guys, this will just be recapping, but for those who haven't followed us before, um, I am very fortunate that in within my collection, I've got this sub-collection of three Seiko watches, which are quite nondescript, aren't they, really, if you didn't know the history behind them? Um, but they are um, the three Seiko references that were issued to the military assistant, uh, military advice, um, military assistance command um, within Vietnam, um, and they were the special forces advisors that went out um, into all the fire bases, you know, um, in remote locations. They trained um, indigenous personnel. Um, and they led clandestine uh, operations against the Viet Cong, as well as, I guess, the, the North Vietnamese army. Uh, effectively, they would cross the border into Cambodia and Laos um, along that um, highway, and they would insert into the jungle by helicopter. They'd go put a route recce in, they'd put a, you know, uh, a surveillance post in, and then they would effectively call fire uh, and destroy any um, enemy in that location. Uh, mate, the uh, mortality rate of those units was something like 200% or something stupid like that. Like you were you were very lucky to 
even survive your first mission. <laughs> it was insane. I can believe it, mate. I can believe it. I mean, you're, you're cutting around in an environment there that you're not necessarily used to. Um, yeah. Well, yeah, that's it. The environment's trying to kill you, and then you've got to fight an enemy who's trying to kill you as well. That's, that's exactly it. So, you know, you've, you've got two wars on at any one time, mate. Um, anyone who's spent any time in the jungle or tropics will understand that um, unless you have absolutely gleaming personal admin, um, you're going to succumb to your environment very, very quickly anyway. Um, so to be doing clandestine operations, mate, um, actually soldiering, um, but trying to maintain themselves, their equipment, um, and, and achieve an objective, it's, it's incredible, mate, that any of these guys made it through, but it's also incredible as any of the watches actually came mm-hmm. back. Um, it's, it's phenomenal. And, and, you know, to top that off, these are not your everyday soldiers. You know what I mean? These are very, very small units. Um, a very select few people would have known that this was going on, um, would have been part of that world and that community. Um, yeah. And that makes it even rarer to think that, you know, to, 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 to get your hands on one of the watches that they used, um, mm. but not only one, but three of them, mate. It's, it's phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal. Yeah. But I'm, I'm led to believe, mate, you, you told me not too long ago that the reason they were all the Seikos um, was because, um, well, essentially, the, the Benros and the Belova would have given them away. Um, you know, they, yes. they could have posed as journalists or Canadians or whatever it whatever angle they wanted to use with a, with a pseudonym and a, and a, and a backstory. Um, and it, they wouldn't have had that issued military kit on them or on their person. Is that correct? Yeah. So effectively, mate, they sterilized all their uniforms. So they went over, they went over, uh, they crossed the fence is the term. Uh, so um, there's a book um, called the SOG Chronicles or Special Observation Group Chronicles by a gentleman called John Stryker Mayer. Uh, or Striker Meyer, depending on your pronunciation. Uh, and he was one of the recon team commanders um, um, in, in that force. Uh, and he's written, obviously, the unit's exploits and some of his exploits into a series of books. If you, if you Google his name, his books will come up. Um, but effectively, mate, they would sterilize themselves. So no name tags, no unit insignia, nothing, no dog tags, none of that stuff that you would think that you would take on a conventional uh, operation. Um, they would go in and have nothing. So the watches had to be sterile. So they went to a gentleman called um, Ben Baker. Uh, ben actually recently died this year beginning of this year uh but he was so pivotal to um the effect of the, the special forces operations out there um he headed up a thing called siso which was a special procurement um office um for for effectively the military he had the budget he was the budget holder and he went out to all the fire bases mate and all the um pl- platoons and basically went right lads what do you want I can get you anything or we can make anything or we can, you know, figure out the best way for you to operate. I've got the budget. Let's go for it. He developed mate, special Russian packs for them to, you know, that were lighter than standard Russian packs that they could, you know, operate for long periods of time. He also mate, had to cater for the indigenous personnel, you know, so stuff like even their diet was mainly rice and fish. So he had to come up with a way and, and in one of his leaflets, mate, um, we'll put it into the show notes, link to it. He talks about how they developed um, the Russian packs for them to live on um, of dehydrated um, rice and fish, because effectively that's what 
the indigenous soldiers were used to because they were they couldn't digest and you know operate for as long period of time on the american stuff um but also the other side of it was was if you eat what the locals eat if you accidentally left anything you know on your patrol you're not going to you know leave any any markers to be followed you know that was obvious that american forces have been operating in that area you literally just blend into the jungle for one of a better expression um but obviously one of the things that he was famous for mate was procuring the watches now you know that there's three references and i've alluded to that but effectively there were seiko fives there were seiko five sportsmatics um and then there was um so the seiko five sportsmatic was the first one i mean it was a seiko five the, the middle one and then, then there was a Seiko 7005, which is the final version. They're all slightly different watches. And again, guys, go onto my page and you'll see photos of them. But effectively, when he first tipped up to one of these fire bases, and he went, right, what do you want? They all turned around and went, right, we know we can get the best gear. Let's ask for Rolex Submariners because we can. Now, they asked it and he did go out and do his due diligence, mate. He went and had a look. But Rolexes were costing $120 per unit per man back then now that doesn't sound a lot you know but back then that was a lot of money um i don't know what the currency conversion would be it was still cheaper than a submariner would set you back now however um mate if i had a time machine to go back in the 60s and just buy all the submariners you would wouldn't you um mate i'd go back i'd go back you know late 80s early 90s mate because you look at the the mill subs um yeah. uh, someone told me a story mate of of literally going to an MOD auction and there would be 15 or 20 of those on the ring and they'd mm. sell them by a ring, yeah. um, just the watch heads and they go for, for peanuts, absolutely yeah. peanuts. Um, but yeah, it's oh, hindsight's 2020, mate, as it you is, say. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah. Rolexes, mate, they've, um, interesting brand on their yeah. own. Uh, but yeah, so, so far too expensive, far, yeah, too, far expensive too expensive for what they were doing. So, but he did his diligence, mate, he did his research, he had a look and effectively he came back and said, right, but why do you want Rolex? Is effectively the question that he went back with. And they said, oh, well, you know, they're waterproof, they're automatic, they're accurate, they're luminous. And he went, right, okay, cool. But I noticed you're all wearing Seikos. Why are you wearing Seikos? And they just went, oh, because it's waterproof, it's robust, it's automatic, it's luminous, uh, and it's all the things that we want in a watch. And he went, right, but why do you want a Rolex then? Oh, well, effectively, because we knew that you had the budget. So he went, right, well, uh, I'll take that. <laughs> I'm going to go to Seiko and I'm going to go buy Seikos for you because you are you are already buying you are already buying them when you're on R&R. &R. Uh, and effectively, mate, he bought Seikos for them for eight, six to $8 a unit. Wow. What a, yeah. what a comparison. I mean, and just you can map that to, to today, guys, you know what I mean, in, in, in the cost difference between the Rolex and the Seiko. It's, yeah, wow. Six to eight dollars. Six to eight dollars. Now, what's interesting, mate, is that the first iteration uh, was was never issued. It was the issue. It was the first version that the the lads went out and bought through the PX or on late on leave, and again, it was just synonymous with this the Mac V Sog Special Forces Group because the guys, obviously, you know, you, when you go to a unit, there's always um, fashion trends isn't there and what's cool and what's not and effectively these guys were picking these watches up and the other new lads to the teams were like coming through and going, oh well what are you wearing i like looking at and they're just going buy the same one um when it came to them being issued they weren't actually issued mate until 1968 okay. the watches um so they had actually already operated a couple of years uh in the jungle 
uh, with non-issued tokens. They were then issued um, the 6619-8100 um, were the first versions to be issued. Uh, and mate, they're basically, they're just Seiko 5. So they've got the five attributes of a Seiko 5. So um, automatic um, day and date function, luminous, robust and waterproof effectively or water resistant to a level and that's obviously the five attributes for a, for a Seiko 5 uh, and they were the first ones to be issued and then after that mate in 1970 the rarest version that was issued um, was the Seiko 7005-8030. Now it's an interesting point about that is the fact that I did some research and that gentleman who does the video um, uh, of servicing vintage Seikos, from his research and other more prolific Seiko collectors than I, um, they've all come back and said that the reference number of the 7005 is actually just a generic dress watch. And what they think, and they think, there's no, there's no proof, but they think, um, is that, he, that Ben Baker went with one of the earlier models to Seiko and said, build me that. We need, you know, we, the lads need, we need these and I need however many of these in, in a batch of X amount of hundreds. And effectively he think, what they think is he went to um, Seiko and they had obviously stopped making that model. Mm. And effectively they went, right, okay, we will build you a watch that is what you require with um, Arabic, an Arabic dial, luminous dial. But unfortunately we don't have the 6619 dials anymore, so you can't have it they think that there's a chance that effectively Seiko printed the, and, and, and manufactured the 7005 uh, dials specifically for Mac VSOG operators. Because on eBay and on the vintage Seiko forums, 7005-8030s come up with other dials as well. Now, I like to think that that is what happened, because obviously, yeah. I'm, you know, you know me, mate, I'm big on the military, you know, stories and the ethos and, 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 and the heritage of those pieces. And if that is true, that would be incredible. You know, what's more likely is the fact that they just had an Arabic dial version and that was the one that was closest and they just handed them out, you know, for the money that yeah. he paid for. However, there's a little bit of a romantic air, the idea of this man going to Seiko with one of the watches and saying, right, these are what my lads are wearing can we buy some of them saying, well, we haven't got them anymore, but we'll make you the dials. Yeah. You know, yeah. um, I also did some rough maths, mate, on how many Seikos roughly could have been made. Um, and I roughly figured out that there was probably only 250 Mac V SOG operators in country per year. And now that is everyone. That's everyone from going out, from, from the lads going out on the ground to your higher commanders and your generals advising coming under that, that command branch. Not everyone got a watch. So say yeah. 150 people got a watch per year and you look at how long they were being issued for, I think it was something like 1968 to 75, 100 times 150 times seven years. That's not a lot of watches. You know what I mean? So when you look at that, that'd be less than a thousand watches. And then if you look at how many watches could have been issued or made, how many of them, as you said earlier on, how many would have survived is minimal because yep. it's a known, known thing that they obviously their mortality rate was so high that guys were killed in the jungle, mate, and never recovered. Yep. You know, so there will be watches hanging around in the Cambodian and Laotian jungles now 
just in the forest, you know, slowly um, going to rust. But also, mate, the team operators who left, um, survived effectively, survived their year tour, um, they um, would have gifted their watches to some of the indigenous uh, team course. members. Because again, yep. mate, team members, they couldn't afford watches. These guys are indigenous uh, personnel effectively and that's what they were known as they were mountain men they were guides they were jungle survivalists you know and they lived in all these villages to them mate time is a different concept but also they couldn't afford a watch yep. whereas these sf blokes like you said mate the seikos to them were just an issued tool it was just a tool it was just a piece of kit to them yep. it was oh well it's issued i'll just write it off and i you know i asked for a rolex from ben baker so when i go and leave i'm gonna buy my rolex and take that home yeah yeah yeah, yeah yeah oh you want the seiko here have it you know, take, and it's, it. Yeah. take it, Keep take it. it, keep it. Um, but what's interesting, mate, is the fact that the loom was so bright on them that um, John Stryker Mayer is um, quoted in saying that they used to have to put black nasty and black electrical tape over the dials to stop them from shining a light in the jungle. Because that is how close that they were getting to some of the enemy enemy soldiers when they were conducting their uh, their, their missions and their, their, their strike ops and their reconnaissance ops. They were coming within inches sometimes of um nva and Viet Cong patrols in fact in his book mate i i read that um one of his trackers right was on was on an op looking out along the highway um supply lines and he said that he had an nva soldier brush up behind him tap him on the shoulder speak to him in vietnamese saying it's your turn on stack next and moved on down the line and it's only because it was so dark in the jungle, didn't realise that he was wearing a different uniform. Wow. Wow. Could you yeah. imagine? Yeah. I would have been, right, I need a clean, a clean <laughs> pair of underpants, please. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Wow. Because, yeah, yeah, wow. Sh- it blew my head off, that. Huh? I yeah. never heard that story before. No, neither had I. Um, but the only other thing, mate, to talk about them is the fact that they were all worn, similar to how um, you know Jake, uh, Jake Sangin has set up um, the navigator compasses. So when they were in the jungle, two things came down from higher command, army-wide, saying that all army personnel or all ground personnel operating in Vietnam had to have two things on them at any one time, and it was a wristwatch and a wrist compass to aid in navigation so what they used to do mate was the seikos would come on whatever leather strap or you know factory oem strap the lads would rip that off because leather would rot in the jungle anyway they would take the wrist compass which was on a nylon issued band and they'd put the watch on the nylon issued band and they'd wear it very much as i'm wearing my my neptune now um and as you know mate again from the photos when people go onto the onto the feeds they'll see that one of my seikos is on an original wrist compass band and with an original period correct wrist compass and that mate is how the lads used to wear them out on the ground phenomenal absolutely phenomenal and again these things have held they've held up um they're, yes. they're still functional um, yes, i've actually mate. got i've got your watches at the minute mate, um and yeah, i don't wear them uh, because they terrify me um <laughs> in the sense of yeah if i was to ding it mate or drop it or god forbid anything happened to it in my care mate then uh yeah, it's it's not it's not buying the new one that scares me, mate. It's finding one. That's yeah, that's it's finding. Tough, one. But it's, it's so finding yeah. 
I don't, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't, I don't wear it, mate. It doesn't come out of the box. You, you, you asked me to take care of it when, when you went on, uh, on deployment last year, mate, and it's sort of sat with me ever since. Um, but yeah, it's, it's very cool, very cool to see. And, and from, I don't, I don't like saying that. It's, it's cool. I mean, this is a conflict. The human beings yeah. were, were put through, um, you know, tough times. You know what I mean? It's uh, a lot of us um, can can relate to that. A lot of the guys uh, who listen to this can relate to that. It's not it's not all fun and games being on deployment or on ops. Um, but sometimes we get sucked into the the watch history mm. and how that culture is carried over into our hobby. Um, and because we're into watches, we're into the military stuff as well, or ex-military. Um, it's easy for us to get excited and say, "Why, well, you know, that's, that's so cool. Look at that. Look at how it was done." But it's it's sometimes easy to to, to forget the human element of that as well. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I just want to address that quick. But mate, your Seikos are phenomenal. Understanding that that compass and that that nylon band is is correct is phenomenal. And uh, as you know, guys, I'm a I'm a strap nut. Um, that material on that nylon isn't very thick at all. At all. No. Um, and I imagine, I mean, looking at it from, from a romantic story point of view, mate, I, I'd like to think that they probably opted for that thinner piece because they were operating in the jungle and it'd be far faster to dry. Um, mm. There's less density in the weave, um, in the structure of the weave pattern. Um, and if it did get wet, then it would dry very quickly just off the human body heat because, because the strap is, is fairly thin. doesn't mm. make it weak, but it's thin. Um, but yeah, mate, and, and seeing how Jake's carried that as well. That's, that's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah. So, so yeah, that's the the Seiko five, uh, the Se- the Mac V Sog Seikos, mate. Um, like I said, guys, you can you can Google these things and YouTube these things to your heart's content. Um, I actually, mate, I get a lot of messages about those, um, and some of them aren't even about asking me about the history of them. They are literally asking uh, if they're for sale, um, yeah. which is quite surprising, mate, given. Um, to be perfectly honest, when I started collecting them, I knew they were sought after, but there were a lot more available. Um, that being said, I probably see one every three to four months pop up in varying oh, condition. We, we didn't have a podcast then, right? We didn't know anyone about them. Do you know what I mean? Um, or, or it's, it's one of those, mate. I mean, you don't know what you don't know. No. It's as simple as that. And I think they've they've picked up a lot of traction. They've become yeah. far more popular, mate, with 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 um, with collectors, mate, and non collectors, people within the watch community, particularly mm. if you you know you're interested in the Sangin, um, yeah. uh, because you can see where he's got his roots from. You can see yeah. where he's got his inspiration from. You can you know what I mean? It's he, he's very much in his own way paid paid. I don't want to say homage, mate, because he hasn't. You know, it's, these are not homage watches that he makes. They're his own thing. Um, yeah. But he pay. He, it's it's a tip of the hat to the heritage um, yeah. of of you know his his forebears really. Um, who were cutting around in the jungle, um, wearing what they wore, um, and he's carried that through. So, yeah, they're out there, mate. Um, it's hard to believe, but they are out there. Um, yeah. You look at the numbers that were issued, um, the numbers that would have potentially made it back. Uh, to the US, um, you know, post-war, post-deployment, um, and and it, it's staggering to think that these things are still out there. Um, yeah. And it's also staggering to think, mate, that for a certain period of time, they would have been looked at like an old pair of boots. Yeah. You know what I mean? They would have just been lashed in a drawer or thrown or no one would have cared. Um, mm. And then, you know, 
X amount of years later, um, people get very excited to see them because you know they they do signify such an important piece of history, uh, particularly mm-hmm. on watches. Yeah, and the clandestine well, stuff. Well, what's interesting, mate, is that there's at least three people within the ZA's um, ZT community that have them. To be honest, yes, um, I know that for a fact. Um, yep. So my, you've got myself. Um, we've got um, Jake who's got one. Um, yep. And in fact, I helped Jake buy his one, mate, actually. I don't know oh, if he told you cool. that. Um, no, no, he, no, no. He, uh, he sent me through the listings and I had a look at the listings and I gave him some advice on, on, on acceptable price points at the time uh, yeah. to buy one. And he bought it to, yeah, re- you know, to, to, to pay respect, as it were, I guess, to, to, the, to that heritage of himself and also to his, I think it was his grandfather is what he was saying. Um, but the other side of it, mate, was uh, quite interesting. Is we talk about how, again, these would have, you know, like you said, they were issued bits of kit, and to some people, they would have been, yeah, like I said, just thrown into a drawer at the end of the deployment. They would have walked away and said, you know, I'm done with that deployment, move on, or whatever. Um, but what is interesting is that John Stryker Meyer, um, again, in the same interview, mate, he actually said that he lost his after the war um, in a bodyboarding accident in, back in America. So he was surfing, bodyboarding in the surf. His uh, non-nylon strap, because he wore it on a Tropic rubber, snapped and he lost it in the surf, mate. And he's has remained ever ever gutted that he has not got his Vietnam watch. Yeah, I can't believe it, mate. I can't believe it. He had a bit of an interaction with, with uh, a member of our community, mate, Commando Sundials. Um, because you, you know, subsequently you had a chat with with Adam there, mate, and, and sort of brought him up to speed with um, with the watches and the history and everything else. And uh, Adam sort of reached out to uh, to this gentleman himself, and and yeah, sort of shared that story. But mate, it's <laughs> can you imagine having a watch for that long, mm. going through the mill with it that much, that hard, that fast, and then only to lose it bodyboarding? You'd be yeah. devastated. Yeah, Absolutely exactly devastated. that. But, mate, it's also another reason to uh, not wear two police rubber straps. So there you go. Um, shameless plug. Shameless plug. plug. Shameless plug. You know, wear it, how, wear it how they were designed to be worn in the jungle, mate. And he would never have lost it, should we say. Um, but, mate, that's a nice roundabout um, episode for uh, the land forces of the 1960s, unless we've missed anything else. I think no, mate. I think I think. Listen, the history is extensive, Dan. Uh, to, to to cover absolutely everything off and do absolutely everything justice um, is is extremely difficult to do. So I think what what we focus on, mate, are the, are the bits that that are more prominent, that the bits that uh, have more influence or or more to do, mate, with with us and our community. And and yeah, I'd agree, mate. I mean, looking at it from 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 a sixties point of view, not an awful lot happened, um, you know, for British military, mate, but but the Americans were, were knee deep. Um, mm. And, uh, you know, subsequently this episode does, you know, does that justice. I mean, we, we had the Smiths, Smiths were cutting around, don't forget, there's still some dirty dozens probably on the wrists of guys of the old and bold. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, where it was happening was was in the US and and that's what they wore, that's what they had. And, and that's what, you know, they, mm. they were the tools for the job at the time. Um, and, and yeah, it's interesting to see the lineage, interesting to see how it, how it carries yeah. forward. Uh, Jake Jake um, carries quite a bit of that history, as does uh, Mark II, I believe, mate. Bill yeah, Yell. Mark II. Mark II's, um, he does a very good rendition, as it were, that pays respects to some of the earlier watches. So when we spoke about the, uh, the Baluva, he's got yeah. his own version of that. So yeah. guys, you know, 
going out and buying these watches is is effectively it's an online auction uh vintage dealership ebay route um or you just got to be lucky and know someone who's selling one at the time um but there's absolutely no problem in going and buying uh, a modern recreation i mean even look at the uh the ggw113s you can buy at the hamilton khaki field watches and they are by by the dial carbon copies and now mate they even do hand wound versions um yeah. but also you know the benefit of that is you're buying a modern watch you, d- you don't have to be afraid of knocking it around a bit um because it's not a vintage watch um as you alluded to earlier with my smiths and um, but also mate also the sizing is good you know they've been brought up to scale a little bit more you know yeah. don't forget the seikos i think are 37 mil they're small yeah. still you know yeah. In fact, the 7005, it wears like a dress watch. Yeah, you know, it's, no, it it's does. Quite, it's right. quite dainty, yeah. isn't it? It's quite clean yeah. and quite, quite. Um, it's not chunky in any way. Um, so, you know, there's nothing wrong with looking at the modern equivalents because they'll give you that vibe, but they'll give you the modern size and the modern case construction and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah. So, yeah, yeah, definitely. Brilliant. All right, then, mate. Well, yeah, that's that's field watches for the sixties, guys. Mm-hmm. Thank you for listening. Um, uh, as always, we'll 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 sort of round things off with a, a bit of a, a side note, uh, yeah. a bit of a top tip, as it were. Um, Dan, do you want to go first, mate? What have you got? Yes, mate. So I um rewatched a series that I watched about four years ago because I didn't realise they basically had released a second season to it. So, um, my um, closing note, mate, is for a TV series called Deutschland 83. Okay, so it's on Amazon Prime. The f- first season is on um, on uh, Amazon Prime for free. The second season is called Deutschland 86, and you have to buy it. Um, so go with the first season, see if you like it. Um, I and mean, then obviously, if you like it, get the second one. Uh, I'm working my way through the second one slowly. Uh, but what it's about, mate, is it follows on from my closing note from last week, where you know I, I spoke about the spy and the traitor and Russian uh, double agents and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but Deutschland 83 focuses on the German, East German BND, which was their MI6, effectively. And it was how they put um, German spies into West Germany to keep an eye on what the NATO and what the West Germans were up to in the 80s. Uh, and it focuses on a very famous um, NATO exercise uh, that happened in 1983 called Able Archer. So I won't mm. say anything more to that. The only thing I will say is um, because it is set in three different uh, countries, effectively, there's elements of it filmed or set in Russia, there's elements filmed and set in East Germany, and elements of it set in NATO, like West Germany and NATO bases, it does flip languages but i think that adds to uh the storyline because it immerses you a little bit more into it you know so you've got when the russians are talking about russian stuff they're they are speaking russian and i think it just shows a dynamic there mate which you probably would lose if it was all done in english you know and i think if it was all done in english it it would lose the accuracy um but it's a very very good tv series so that is my closing note mate what about you May um, as I mentioned earlier, pal, I've, I've, I've all I've been doing is working, mate. Um, when, when I finish for the day, um, I'm not really 
want to sit in front of the TV, mate, and, and stuff like that at the minute because I'm, I'm finishing later. Um, and by the time I square, um, my dad min away, um, which I think I may patent that word, mate, or trademark it. Yeah. Um, it's basically admin, but dad related. So bathing the kids, getting to bed, etc. Um, yeah, I, I just like to sort of sit back, relax, mate, and just um, just do nothing or have a conversation with human beings. Um, so yeah, I've got nothing really to put forward, mate, other than you know the stuff I've I've I've, I've mentioned in the past. Um, so what I'm going to do, mate, we've just done a, a collaboration with Fairbin and Sykes. Um, I'll just give you guys a bit of a, a heads up on on what you can and can't get off them. Um, if you, someone you know um, or someone you care about is or hasn't the right to have a dagger um, through their military service, um, then what you can do is get in touch with them on their custom page on the website um, and get something custom uh, put on that blade for them. Um, also, there's the merch, uh, the, the merch section there as well to get hats and t-shirts, etc. Um, these guys have shown me a lot of love, um, uh, you know, in 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 in, in bringing us on to work with them on that collaboration so I just want to share a bit of that back at the minute mate um, and yeah guys please head over the stuff is really affordable um, it's what you'd expect to pay for a t-shirt from from uh, from a company mate um, it, it, it's nothing ludicrous um, so yeah head over guys pick up some merch grab a hat Grab, grab a t-shirt someone's coming um you know you can't have too many t-shirts so yeah that's it for me mate i wish i had more to bring to the party but um all work and no play at the minute well mate it's not a problem um i will definitely drop onto fairburn and sykes website and pick up a t-shirt myself um because who doesn't like um a t-shirt with daggers on it as it were um mate until the next time we record, I guess, we'll, uh, where we'll pick up and continue the 1960s. Um, I've got nothing else, have you? No, I'm happy, mate. Guys, happy. thank you. Thank you for listening in. Thank you for your support on the podcast and through the straps. And same time, next time. See you later, guys. Bye.